Let's turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Come here. You can come back later. Yeah, you can come back later. Galatians chapter 3. Today, we're going to talk about redeemed from the curse of the law. Redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3. Let's just back up here a couple of verses. Um, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Now, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Is this past, present, or future? Hath, Christ hath redeemed us. Is that past, present, future? It's past. So, yeah, it's not future, and it's not, God's not doing this in the process now. This is not, this is not a process happening now. It's not in the future. Christ hath redeemed us. That's past. He's already redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now Jesus did not deserve to be made a curse. He willingly took our place on the cross and he bore all sickness, all poverty, and spiritual death in our place. In order that verse uh, 14 goes on to say, Cursed is everyone hangeth on a tree, that, or so that, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So, Jesus was made a curse for us. He bore our sin, our sickness, our poverty in his body on the cross. He took our place as our substitute. We deserved the curse. We deserved the punishment. But Jesus took our place so that our spirit could be born again and that we could be put in right standing with God. We could live in divine health free from sickness, and blessed materially and financially. So Jesus received the curse so that we could receive the blessing of Abraham. That's what we just read right here. Verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The redemptive work of Jesus was complete and it covered every area of human existence. Spiritually, separation from God. When Adam sinned and disobeyed God in the garden, it separated him from God. He was spiritually separated from God. Sickness came into the earth. Poverty and lack came into the earth. Not only was Adam spiritually separated from God uh, in fellowship, in relationship with God, but he was also separated from God in terms of God being his provider. God was no longer Adam's provider. We see that in Genesis. Adam had to, he, he had to go to work to start providing for himself. He began to toil. He had, his, his work in the garden was 
actually his assignment was to keep and protect the garden. That was his work or his assignment. But after he disobeyed God and he cut himself off from God spiritually, physically, and materially, and now he had to go to work by the sweat of his brow and start trying to provide for himself. And the Bible talks about he began to toil. And this was not God's will for man then. It's not his will for us now. Prior to this, Adam enjoyed unbroken communion and fellowship with God, divine health, and he never had a thought of his provision. Can you imagine? He never gave one thought to where his provision was going to come from. He, if you would have asked Adam, what do you need, he wouldn't have even known what you were talking about. He didn't even know what a need was. He didn't have any needs. And as long as he kept God's word and maintained the garden, God kept them in divine health and divine abundance. Now, if you ask many Christians today what we've been redeemed from, they will say sin. And that's true, but that's not the whole story. Jesus did not redeem us from from just the curse, he redeemed us into the blessing of Abraham. So we've not only been redeemed from something, but we've been redeemed into something else. Colossians uh, 1, uh, I think it's 12, 13, somewhere along there says, uh, God has delivered us out of the dominion of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we have been redeemed out of one kingdom and been redeemed into the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with us deserving it or earning it in any way. We deserve to be cursed and punished, not blessed. Jesus did not deserve to be cursed. He never sinned. He became a curse for us so that we could be blessed and not cursed. Jesus redeemed us so that we could be restored to right standing with God, divine health, material and financial abundance now in this lifetime. And Jesus has restored us back to the Garden of Eden where Adam was originally before he ever sinned. That's what Jesus has done for us. And it is by faith in Jesus. So we must not let anybody for any reason ever tell us that we are cursed. Okay? You can't be a little bit blessed and a little bit cursed. There's no such thing. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have you been redeemed from the curse of the law? Yes. 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 Amen. Do you deserve to be punished? No. No, right answer. You get an A. <laughs> Everybody gets an A. Jesus was our substitute. The punishment for Adam's sin was death, but Jesus was punished in our place. What and and as you know, we can't really conceive uh, take in what Jesus bore on the cross. I know I've heard Greg talk about this passion movie, and I think he's seen it many times. And, and that's supposed to just give you a little glimpse. I don't, I don't think anybody in the natural could ever portray what Jesus actually went through for us. But what happened to him on the outside wasn't nearly as bad as what happened to him on the inside. What happened to him on the inside was much worse than anything you could even have seen on the outside. On the cross, he died physically, but he also died spiritually. And for the first time in all of eternity, he became separated from God. And that's why he said on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus went into hell in our place. And when the price for sin and the curse 
had been satisfied. He was reborn in the pit of hell. He triumphed over Satan. He took the keys of hell and death. He went back up to the tomb and picked up his physical body. He became sin with our sin. He bore sickness and disease for us, and with his stripes we were healed. On the cross, he became poor that we might be made rich. So the redemptive work of Jesus was spiritual, physical, and material. Now, Galatians 3 verse 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the promises God made to Abraham, it says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So the promises weren't just to Abraham, they were also to Jesus in the future. Abraham's seed, which was Jesus. Jesus is, is Abraham's seed. So, what did God promise Abraham? Well, uh, I think it's uh, in Dake's annotated Bible, I think he lists 40-something promises God made to Abraham. But we're not going to mention all 40, but in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, uh, we see three promises God made Abraham. And in the Amplified Classic Bible, it says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you with abundant increase of favors, and make your name famous and distinguished, and you will be a blessing, dispensing good to others. So the blessing of Abraham was not just spiritual. You know, people say, oh yeah, uh, God said he would bless Abraham and he was spiritually blessed. Well, he was spiritually blessed, but he wasn't just spiritually blessed. In the next uh, chapter, Genesis 13, 2, it says, And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So the blessing of Abraham, everything God promised Abraham and Jesus, we get also. Because in verse 29 of Galatians 3, it says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So even though we don't deserve the blessing, we can have it. And even though we deserved to be cursed, we don't have to have it. Jesus took it for us. Let's say this out loud. I am not cursed. I've been redeemed from the curse. So the blessing is mine. I'm redeemed and I'm blessed. So you don't agree with anybody for any reason that you are cursed and not blessed. Okay? When you miss it, repent and receive your cleansing and believe that you are blessed. Now, the word, what does it mean? What does curse mean? Cursed means doomed, damned, struck down, Slated or destined to failure, dedicated to destruction. Doomed, damned, struck down, slated or destined to failure, dedicated to destruction. The world curses things. Damn this, damn that. When they say that, they're, they're cursing it. They're cursing things. And they're giving the devil a legal right to come in and destroy because he is the destroyer. We call our possessions blessed and not cursed. Call your washing machine blessed. Call your car blessed. Call your computer blessed. If it's playing up, that's all the more reason to call it blessed. 
because if that's the only one you got, it's got, you know, if that's the only car you got, you better be blessing it. You know, if that's the only computer you got, you better be blessing it and believe God in the meantime for a new one. Amen? But as long as you have it, call it blessed. Blessed means divine empowerment, favored, empowered, enabled, destined for success and victory. Divine empowerment, favored, empowered, enabled, destined for success and victory. So you do what you can do, and when you reach the end of your ability, the power of God kicks in. Amen? Hallelujah. You can expect to succeed and win every time because the favor and divine empowerment of God comes on the scene and makes up for what you lack. So we don't take credit for being blessed. We give credit to the blesser. Our houses, equipment, lands, animals, call them blessed. Amen? Call them blessed. Favored, kept, enabled, empowered, destined to succeed. So bless everything, bless all your possessions. Call them blessed. Let's say this out loud. Jesus has redeemed me from the curse of the law. I am destined to succeed. Now, the law can refer, the law in the Bible can refer to several things. It can refer to the Ten Commandments. It can refer to the first five books of the Bible. Or it can refer to the entire Old Testament. Now, Galatians 3, 19 and 24, we see the purpose of the law under the Old Testament. So, you know, if you think, well, you know, what was this law and why was it even... Why is it even in the Bible? Well, because after Adam sinned and God was spiritually uh, separated from man, God was on the outside looking in and he had no legal access into the earth. He couldn't just come back in here and say, okay, I'm starting all over with this because the earth didn't belong to him anymore. A Adam gave it to the devil. And now the devil... Is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says he's the, he's the God of this world. So Adam turned over the earth, lock, stock, and barrel to the devil. So God came and made this covenant with a man named Abraham, and he treated him as if he never sinned. God credited it to him as righteousness because Abraham believed him and he, he obeyed God and what God told him to do. So it gave God, this covenant made, gave God an avenue whereby he could work back into the earth and bless man again. It gave him, a, through this blood covenant uh, with Abraham, he had a legal right to, to now to bless man in the earth again. But because God knew, uh, then Moses, uh, you know, gave the Ten Commandments and so forth, but God knew the people could not keep all these commandments. He knew they were going to blow it. He knew they couldn't keep it. So the wages of sin is death. So in order to look over the people's sin, God instituted these animal sacrifices in the Old Testament uh, under what we call the Law of Moses. And once a year, the high priest would go into the temple, the really innermost part called the Holy of Holies, and he, um, they would offer animal sacrifices to cover the people's sin. It didn't remove sin, but it just covered their sin for one year. And the next year, they'd have to go back and do the same thing again. So Galatians 3.19 tells us the purpose of the law. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions 
till the seed, Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So to, to sum it up, the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was to remind the people of their sin. They, they, they were reminded of their sin and the blood of animals covered their sin. It didn't clean them of sin. It just covered it and God said, okay, uh, you know, I, I, I looked the other way for another year. I, I, these animal sacrifices are having to serve the purpose until the seed of Abraham, Jesus, came. So Jesus never sinned. He fulfilled the law by becoming the final sacrifice under the old covenant. So Jesus was the final lamb under the old covenant offered up um, by the high priest. So Jesus fulfilled the law of the old covenant. Now the blood of Jesus removed sin. The blood of animals under the old covenant only covered sin. It didn't remit sin. It just covered it. It'd be kind of like you, you've got your table set and you spill some gravy on it, you know, and you got people coming and you don't have time to wash the, the tablecloth. You just go grab another tablecloth and you put it over the stain. And that's, that's what the animal sacrifices did. It just covered the, the, the stain. It didn't wash it out. But the blood of Jesus removed sin and the consciousness of sin. The, the purpose of the, the law was to make people conscious that they had sinned. And, and the blood of Jesus under the New Testament has removed that sin consciousness from us. And if you read the book of Hebrews, there's three or four chapters in there that goes into great detail. Uh, Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. Verse 26, this is Hebrews 9, verse 26, But now... Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So under the new covenant, we take communion, which we did in the last meeting, not to remind us of sin, but to acknowledge that Jesus has redeemed us from sin and all the curse of the law. So we're... we're put in remembrance of what Jesus did to, to redeem us from all the curse of the law. Sin, sickness, poverty, every area of human existence. Now that's not to say that, that we don't, uh, you know, the, the Bible tells us there when it's talking about receiving communion that we're to judge ourselves. We're to judge ourselves concerning sin and if we missed it, that's a good opportunity to repent, receive our cleansing, and uh, plead the blood of Jesus and say, I'm blessed and I'm cleansed. Amen? So, so the old, well, not just the Old Testament. I'm telling you, folks, tomorrow there will be thousands of churches in this country and all around the world and people will come in there and they go to take communion. Psalm 107, 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be saying, We are the redeemed and we're saying so. But people will go into churches tomorrow and they will open up that book and they will say, We are not worthy to come to thy table. We have grievously sinned against you. We are not worthy to pick up the 
crumbs under your table. Now, folks, that is sin consciousness. That is an Old Testament mentality. That is not the redeemed of the Lord saying, I'm redeemed. That's religion, and it's man-made tradition. We need to say what the Word says. Amen? And these, God bless them, but they're developing a sin consciousness. We're, the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin consciousness. Amen? This is why Jesus is the only pathway to God and the only pathway to salvation. And God planned it this way. God has never acknowledged any other religion or any other person as having equal standing with Jesus. Never. That's why Jesus is the only pathway to salvation. So under the old covenant, there were curses for breaking the commandments and the word of God and blessings for obeying the word. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Here, uh, God goes into great detail about what a blessing is and what a curse is. And it's not too difficult to understand. Verse 1, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and do what... Um, all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. You still have sheep, uh, Jackie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they were blessed when you had sheep. Amen. <laughs> blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee and thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Yes. Now, here he talks about your body. He talks about your animals. He talks about your basket. Today we would say your bank account. He talks about your storehouses. Today we would say your savings account. So is, uh, is God just talking here about being spiritually blessed? No. He said he mentions your body, your land, your animals, your bank account, your savings. Now in the old covenant, one of the major ways people knew that you were blessed was by your possessions. That's how, that was a big indicator of how people knew whether you were blessed or not. Uh, you, servants, chariots, flocks, herds, real estate, hard assets. That, that was the measurement under the old covenant of whether you were blessed by God or not. Blessing and prosperity was generally determined by possessions and hard assets. 20% of the Bible deals with hard assets and possessions. Now, in the world we live in, we're surrounded by fear and unbelief. So this is all the more reason to talk blessing. Blessed in the field. Blessed in the city. Blessed coming in. Blessed going out. Say this when you're driving down the road. When you're, dry, when you're folding clothes. When you're washing dishes. When you're cutting the grass, I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Bless, bless, bless. 
Now, God could have God could have put in the Bible one time. He could have just said, "You're blessed," and that's it. Never mentioned it again. He could have just said one time, "You're blessed." He could have just said one time in this chapter, "You're blessed," but he didn't. It would be good to go through uh, and underline the word "blessed" in here every time it occurs. So God is trying to make a point. Blessed, blessed, blessed. We need to start talking like this. So tomorrow when somebody asks you, how are things going, what do you say? Blessed. Amen. Blessed. blessed. Yes. You don't say, well, you know how the economy is. <laughs> Good. You don't say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about my kids or my grandkids or whatever. That's not what you say. Don't talk unbelief and don't walk by sight. Faith calls things that are not as though they were. When it looks like things are getting worse, that's when you bite your lip and you don't talk what you see and what you feel. You say, my kids will turn to God my grandkids will turn to God. They will serve God. They'll obey God and they'll do with their life whatever they're supposed to do with their life. Yes. And if somebody says, well, now don't give me that faith talk. Tell me how it really is. You say, I just told you. I just told you how it really is. I'm blessed and not cursed. Amen? So let's practice. How are you doing? Bless. Bless. Amen. That was pretty weak, but I'll take it. How are y'all doing? Bless. <laughs> Praise God. Right answer. You are saying that you are empowered by God, you're favored by God, and you're destined to succeed by God. Now verse 13 in Deuteronomy 28 I'm going to read it from the, the NIV version. It says, The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. That's good. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Now, these blessings are for the obedient believers, okay? These are blessings for people whose heart is turned toward God and they're obeying God. This is not talking to the rebellious and the disobedient, okay? Verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now this is the same type of language he uses when he was talking about the blessings. Faith and obedience bring the blessings. Fear, unbelief, disobedience, and rebellion brings the curses. Now, this brings us to some language used here that has caused confusion and error when it comes to interpreting the will of God. Uh, verse 20. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand to. Verse 21, the Lord shall make the pestilence cleave to thee. Verse 22, the Lord shall smite thee with the consumption and with fever. Verse 25, the Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Verse 27, the Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt. I don't know what the botch of Egypt today would be, but I, it doesn't sound very good, does it? Verse 28, the Lord will smite thee with madness and blindness. So notice this, the Lord will smite thee, the Lord will cause, the Lord will send. Now, 
Many Christians will read this and say, see there, the Lord will make you sick. Now, even if you did believe that God was even able to personally make you sick and to curse people by making them sick, how would he decide who gets cursed, who gets sick, and who gets blessed? Is it just random? Let's look at the context. Brother Hagen used to say when interpreting the Bible, look at who's doing the talking and look at who they're talking to. Here he's talking to the rebellious and the disobedient, not believers. So you can't take what God has said to the disobedient unbelievers and apply it to Christians in the New Testament who are obedient and, and keep and obeying God's word. So, even if you believe that God was able to make people sick, as long as you're obedient and believing, you get to skip all the curses and the sicknesses. And even if God was capable of putting sickness on people, he would be unjust to put it on obedient believers. And it would be one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in human history after Jesus has already borne all sickness, all disease, all the curse of the law for us, and then turn around and put it on you, You're the obedient believer, to, to put something on you that Jesus has already borne in our place so we wouldn't have to have it, that would be a, a huge miscarriage of justice, even if God was capable of doing it. Only confused people believe that sickness and lack are really blessings in disguise. The body of Christ has had a lot of help from the devil and religious tradition and misunderstanding the Bible. There's no such thing as a curse becoming a blessing and a blessing becoming a curse. There's just no such thing. Sickness is not a blessing in disguise. Uh, abundance is not really a curse. And you're, you know, it's really, you know, a, a really, it's not really a bad thing. It's as plain and black and white in this chapter God was not confused about what is a blessing and what is a curse. Sickness, lack, destruction is clearly in the list of curses, not the list of blessings. Increase, abundance, and plenty is clearly listed in the blessings and not the curses. And the more you step out and obey God, the more blessed and protected you are. Now there are other scriptures in the Bible where bad things are attributed uh, as coming from God. Now let's turn over to Exodus 12. And we'll just look at an example here. Exodus 12, this is the night before God delivers the Israelites from Egypt. And he gives them instructions about the Passover lamb. And in verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. Now, get this. God's saying, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, underlying the words, execute judgment execute judgment God says I'm going to pass through the land and I'm going to smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt so God's talking 
He says, I will smite, I will execute judgment. Now that's a significant word. So underline execute judgment. This is not blessing talk. This is curse and destruction talk. Okay? This is curse and destruction talk. Why is God talking destruction? Because he's executing judgment or justice. When you see judgment in the Bible, it, it also means justice. Okay? So, time after time, God has sent Moses to Pharaoh saying, Let my people go. And the stiff-necked, rebellious, disobedient Pharaoh said, No, I will not. And besides that, who is this God of yours? This arrogant, disobedient, rebellious Pharaoh says, No, I'm not going to let him go. And who is this God anyway? So, God, God said, I will smite the firstborn and I will execute justice. Verse 22. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out at the door of this house until the morning. So even if God, even if the Lord is the one doing the smiting and the destroying, did everybody in Egypt get smitten? No. Everybody in Egypt did not get smitten. Was there a difference? Did God make a distinction between the people of God and the unbelievers? Yes, He did. Was there protection under the blood of the Lamb for the, disobe for the obedient people of God? Yes. So even if you believe God is the one doing the cursing and the smiting, everybody was not smitten. The people of God were protected. Verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer, the what? The destroyer, underline those words. He will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Now I'm going to read that from the God's Word translation. It says, The Lord will go throughout Egypt to kill the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, he will pass over that doorway, and he will not let the destroyer come into your home to kill you. Is God the destroyer? No. God executed judgment on the rebellious and the disobedient by allowing the destroyer access to them. They brought it on themselves. The curse is out here, folks. The curse, is, the curse is, has been here since Adam disobeyed. Jesus has just given us a way to overcome it and live above it. But the curse is still out there. And, and, and the rebellious and the disobedient are going to have the effects of it. And th this is what happened. Now, the King James Version says God did it. But let's explain something. In the Old Testament, the people had no revelation about the devil. They had no revelation about the devil, and they had very little revelation about God. They thought everything and the whole world that happens, it comes from God. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it came from God. And there are Christians today, you know, that believe if God allows something, it's the same as if he did it. And this is the Old Testament mentality they believed. If God allowed something, it's the same as if he did it. It's not the same as if he did it. This clearly says the destroyer did it. 
God just left them to their enemy. You know, God just left them to the enemy. And this all could have been avoided. God did it in the sense that he passed judgment and allowed the destroyer to do it. Now there's another problem here. The King James Version uses verbs that have been translated in the causative tense and not the permissive tense. So Which that's, verse is it? Um, well, verse 23 was the last, last okay. one that I read. So God said, I won't permit, the, when I see the blood, I won't permit the destroyer to do it. So we're not under the blood of a physical lamb like these people in the Old Testament. We're under the blood of the lamb. Amen? The lamb of God, a new and better covenant. Should we expect to be smitten and destroyed? No. The King James Version says God did it, but you have to look at all the verses to see how it happened. How it happened. God is the righteous judge of all the earth. Now some people will take this and they'll say, yes, and I believe that everything happens for a reason. Well, obviously everything happens for a reason. This happened for a reason. <laughs> what happened to the Egyptians happened for a reason because their disobedient, stiff-necked, rebellious Pharaoh refused to obey God and let the people go like God told him in the first place. That was the reason judgment came on them. And you notice it wasn't just Pharaoh that got hit. Not everybody got hit. All the firstborn, animals and people, because of one man's uh, rebellion against God. And folks, that is why it is so important we have godly people in offices, as in leadership in our, in our countries. Because their decisions, you know, like they say, elections have consequences. And one, one bad person in the wrong place can bring some bad things on an entire country. So when people say everything happens for a reason, what they really mean is everything that happens is the will of God. That's what they're really saying. And folks, that is not true. Everything that happens is not the will of God. Everything that happens is not the will of God. And in a situation like this, where God is forced to execute judgment on rebellious people, it does not please Him. It does not please Him. He, he has no pleasure in having to execute judgment on rebellious people. The enemy, the curse, and destruction is already here in the earth. People are being destroyed every day and it's not the will of God. When we are spared and protected and blessed day after day, year after year, it's because of the keeping and blessing power of God uh, in our lives. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't say he devours everybody he seeks. It just says he's seeking whom he may devour. Write this down. Revelation 12.10. Talking about Satan, it calls him the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan is constantly trying to accuse us, the brethren, uh, uh, and trying to build a case against us to bring judgment against us. He's looking for an open door to try to get into our affairs. And uh, one of the major ways he tries to do it is through what we say and through the words of our mouth 
And what we testify through uh, when we give a negative testimony, that's one of the major ways he's looking to try to build a case that will give him access into your life. This is why he's very interested in what you say. You know, like if you, if you put this in a courtroom context and you've got the accuser, the devil, who's the prosecuting attorney, he's the one accusing you of something, and you're, you're in the middle, you're the witness, and Jesus is your defense attorney. And he has never lost a case. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I don't care how good your attorney is, if you get up on that witness stand and you say, yeah, I did it, I'm guilty, I'm guilty of everything that, you know, I missed it the other day. Yeah, the, the devil says I'm sick, I'm sick. But, you know, the devil says I'm in debt, I'll never get out. If you get on that witness stand and you agree with everything he's accusing you of, you are done, folks. And I don't care how good your defense attorney is, they can't really help you. If you're going to admit, uh, if you're going to agree with the prosecuting attorney and everything that you've been accused of. Now, Hebrews 3.1 3, Hebrews 3, says Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. So as long as we're talking faith and we're saying what the word says, Jesus is backing up our words. But when we talk in unbelief and doubt, guess who's going to back those words up? The, the destroyer. He's, 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 the, he's watching over those words. That's what he's waiting for. He wants access into your life. And your words are one of the main avenues that gives him access. Now, 1 John 2, 1 John 2, verse 1, says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our advocate, our defense attorney, representing us at the throne of God. And Satan is our accuser, and he's the prosecuting attorney trying to bring a case of judgment against us. So, uh, let's say, Frank, you're on the... Uh, I, I'm, let's say I'm Jesus, I'm, you're, I'm the uh, defense attorney, and the devil is you know, bringing a case against you. And I say, okay, Frank, now, this is, this is what I want you to say. I've written it down here. You just study this and nothing else. And I don't care what they ask you. This is what you say right here. Okay? When the devil tries to, to say that you're sick, you're going to say, by his stripes, I was healed. That's all you say. You don't say anything else. <laughs> Now, if he pulls out your x-rays, if he pulls out your blood test, and he presents this evidence, the devil says, Your Honor, I present these medical reports from the doctor that proves this person is sick. I'm presenting this evidence from the bank, their bank statement that shows how much debt they're in. And he, uh, he's accusing, he's presenting this before God to accuse you. Or any, anything done, anything, something you did 30 years ago or something, you know. And this is what people don't realize. Folks, we're on the witness stand every day. The, the devil's following us around, listening to our words, writing them down. And he'll, he'll present this jump before God trying to accuse us that we don't deserve to be blessed. We don't deserve to be healed. So, when he pulls out the medical reports proving to you that you're sick, you're going to say, by his stripes I was healed. And if he pulls out the bank statement saying, 
this is how much debt they're in and they'll never get out. You say, my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory. Okay? That's all you say and nothing else. So as long as you cooperate with your defense attorney, we got this done. Jesus is saying, look, we got, I got this. I have been in this courtroom thousands of times before. I have done this before, and I've never lost a case. You just say what I tell you to say, okay? But if you don't, if you get up there, and this is a, what the devil's tactic is, he wants to, you to, to break under pressure, to break down in tears, and start crying, and say, yeah, I'm guilty, yeah, I'm sick, yeah, everything you said's true, uh, you know, you, and the devil's going to say, Your Honor, I rest my case. This person should be found guilty. They should be cursed and not blessed. But, so, and I don't care what, I don't care if Jesus is your defense attorney. You cannot undermine everything he has done on the cross with the words of your mouth. And that's what a lot of Christians are doing that with the words of their mouth and their confession, they are undermining everything Jesus has already redeemed us from. And Jesus, after the devil makes his, his uh, presentation, Jesus, is, your defense attorney, is going to say, Your Honor, Father, I present Exhibit A, my blood on the mercy seat. And I, I say they are cleansed and they are forgiven. And I present exhibit B, the stripes on my back for their healing. Amen. And I declare the court should find this person innocent. And the, the Heavenly Father says this court has long accepted the blood of Jesus as sufficient evidence for their cleansing, their healing, and their blessing, and I find Frank innocent and not guilty. And this court is adjourned. Amen. Wow. Amen. Now, folks, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Now, let's just quickly turn to Job chapter 2. Now this, this is the way that we stay blessed and healed. Amen? Now, turn to Job. It's right before Psalms. This case of accusation is exactly what Job did, what the devil did to Job. And when Christians in the New Testament try to take Job as an example of Christian suffering, they are missing it by 4,000 miles. They are totally missing it. Job is not an example of, Christ, of Christian suffering. Let me read you. Uh, I wrote down these, these scriptures. You know, last time, the last three meetings, we talked in great detail about the connections um, between the words of your mouth and blessing or the words of your mouth and destruction, especially Proverbs. Now, I'll write down these three because I don't think we covered these three. We just write them down. Proverbs 10, 14. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Proverbs 10, 14. Proverbs 13, 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 18, 7. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. So in the Proverbs is full of, of how your words are connected with blessing, and your words are connected with cursing and destruction. And this is why Satan is so interested in what you say. Now, 
and Job 2. For a long time, the devil was looking for a way to get into Job's life, and he could not. God had put a hedge of protection around Job, and he was blessed. I mean, he was blessed. And in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Why was he going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it? Looking for whom he may devour. Just like Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 8. He was looking for whom he may devour. He was trying to get to Job for a long time and he couldn't. And God said, have you set your heart on my servant Job? I think that's verse 8. Have you set your heart on my servant Job? And uh, Satan said, you put a hedge around him, a hedge of protection, and you have blessed the work of his hands. God's the one that does the blessing. Even, uh, Job 2. Job 2, verse 8. Sorry, one. Sorry, I wrote down two. <laughs> Sorry about that. Job 1, 7, and 8. I'll have to correct that. I guess I'll look down at chapter 2 and put two. Anyway, it's chapter 1. And uh, Satan said, You have blessed the work of his hands. And, and Satan said, The only reason he's faithful to you is because you have blessed him. If you put your hand against him, he will curse you to your face. And God said, no, I'm not going to put my hand against him. I'm not going to do it. Now, in the Old Testament, they had no revelation of the devil. Job did not know the devil was his problem. Like I said in the Old Testament, they all believed everything that, came, everything that happened, good and bad, came from God. So the de Job didn't know the devil was his problem. But for 6,000 years, God has gotten the blame for Job's destruction. And there's still people today blaming God for Job's destruction. I mean, we're not going to continue on in this, but just look at chapter 2, verse 7. So God went forth and smote Job with boils. Is that what it says? Does it say God went forth and smote Job with boils? Who did it? Looks pretty plain, plain to me. And Satan went forth and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So why 6,000 years later are people still blaming God for Job's problems? For Job's suffering? There's factors involved here. Job was not born again. He had not been redeemed from the curse because Jesus had not been to the cross. The devil or the destroyer got access to him through fear. He got into fear about his children and how they were going, serving the devil and going down the drain, and, and that gave him access to Job. Job didn't know it was the devil, and that's why he only talked about God, and he thought God was being unfair because he didn't know the devil was his problem, and God had nothing to do with it. Jesus said clearly in John 10, verse 10, The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So killing, stealing, and destroying comes from the devil, and that should be sufficient. What Jesus told us should be sufficient. Killing, stealing, destroying comes from the devil, not God. But Job did not have John 10, verse 10 to read. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't even have the Bible at all. We do. We don't have to be confused like Job was. There's another very big 
factor here that I just pointed out. Job did not have a mediator. There was no intercessor or mediator under the old covenant. He did not have Jesus as his mediator representing him uh, before God. Uh, Jesus is our advocate mediator. He stands between God and us. And, he, and he's, he's our defense attorney. He says, Lord, they plead the blood, they're innocent. And Job did not have that. There was no intercessor under the old covenant. There was no mediator. Jesus had not come yet. But he is our mediator, and he stands between us and God and pleads our case. And God has pronounced us not guilty, blessed, and not cursed. So when the devil brings up all your mistakes and accuses you before God, you plead the blood of Jesus and say, I am innocent. Amen? I'm innocent and I'm blessed. Hallelujah. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your advocate. This is how we stay blessed and we stay healed and the devil does not get access to us. Amen? So let's stand up and let's say, say this together. I'm the redeemed of the Lord, and I'm saying so. I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm blessed, not cursed. I'm redeemed from toil. I plead the blood. I'm cleansed. I'm healed. I'm righteous. I'm innocent. No one can curse whom God has blessed. Jesus became a curse so I could have the blessing. God has restored me to the Garden of Eden. I'm empowered by God and destined to succeed. Amen. Amen.